0: Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm today to get started. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 34. Uh, we have another returning guest on the show today, in uh, pastor and church revitalizer Mitch Miller. I I last talked with Mitch on the podcast, at least, uh, back in episode two, so way back in the early days, uh, quite a while ago, Uh, but it was such a joy to uh, talk with him again and catch up with him uh, and his family and his ministry and what's been going on at his church, uh, Greg's Memorial Baptist Church in my hometown of uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, In this conversation, we really hone in on the significance of church revitalization and um, how this ministry uh, differs from that of church planting what's involved in a church revitalization, and what's the goal, and how do you go about starting one, and how do you know that you need one, and how do you know that you've completed one? Uh, We we seek to kind of tackle those questions and the nuances that are involved with those questions, and uh, I think this was a very, very informative episode, uh, a very insightful discussion uh, that I think you're truly going to benefit from, whether, you know, whether you're in the midst of a church revitalization right now or have felt the recent uh, urgings that you might need one. Uh, I think this show will be a good place for you to start and kind of get a good broad overview of what's involved and what you might be uh, coming to expect. So uh, get ready to uh, jump into that. Uh, before we begin though, um today's show is, of course, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which inspires lifelong discipleship and helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word. To find out more about the Christian Standard Bible, go to csbible.com. Now, for my conversation with Mitch Miller. Enjoy. Well, thanks for coming on, Mitch. How are you doing? Doing really well. It's real sunny out today. I'm on my porch, sipping some coffee here in South Carolina. Mm, that sounds good. It's a nice day here in South Florida, too. Uh, it's been quite a while since we talked uh, somewhat, quote-unquote, in person, even though we're just recording this over the phone. Yeah. Um, But uh, it's been a while, so let's just kind of get caught up on what's been going on with you. It's been going on with uh, Griggs and ministry in Greenville. How's that going for you? Well, it's going really
1: well. Um, as you, some of you might know, if you follow me on Twitter or anything like that, I pastor a church called Griggs Memorial Baptist Church. It's a church that started uh, probably around the 30s or 40s. Though some of the history is a little muddy. We built the building that we're in in the 60s. Uh, it had, It's a small little church in a neighborhood, and it um it had a day quite a while ago, decades ago, yeah. and then had started to decline. In 2015, we started revitalizing the church. We had a, we had somewhere between five and 10 people total, five members, maybe around nine or so on a Sunday morning in attendance. Uh, but it was in a prime spot to reach a, a neighborhood here in Greenville called Poe Mill that, uh, just like any neighborhood, has some difficulties um, that are Particular to its demographic and stuff like that, so we started really working hard in 2015. Uh, we're still a small church, but we're not that small. Uh, we're not. We, we've grown past five people, which is good. We're about 100 <laughs> people right now. On a yeah, and awesome. um, we've we've uh, added several leaders, and we've baptized 23 people in in three years, and it is quite wow. uh, that's quite significant for us because. Our mission is different than probably not every other church, but many other churches, uh, in that we are really focused on one neighborhood. We are not focused on all of Greenville. We're not we're not trying to be the church for the upstate, or the you know, or anything like that. We're not a movement. Uh, we're we're really just trying to reach everyone we can in one area. So 320 houses, that's our mission mm. field, and we are laser focused on them and taking care of them and helping them and and hopefully. Uh, being a conduit through which they can start a relationship with Jesus and walk with him. So so no. to have even 20 or 30 of our people coming from the neighborhood, that's actually quite a big percentage of the, the population of the neighborhood, and uh, it's only grown from there. And so we have several folks from the neighborhood who are coming, but we also serve them in several ways. And uh, we've got to baptize and, and see a lot of them come to Jesus, um, sure. resulting in believers' baptism. So um that it's going really well. We had 150 for Easter. And then the next mm. the next week we had 138 uh just nice. a few weeks ago in April. So that's only 12 less than Easter. and Easter usually mm. really is a big spike for us obviously here in sure. the south. And sure. then now we're running about a where our really our average is around 100 a week. Um and so that's where we're at. And so we got a lot of things going on just continually. Uh, yeah. cause we're all, most of us, uh, we're all volunteers. I'm the only one who, um, is staff, I'm part-time staff. And, uh, so we're really a really unique ministry. And so we're always trying to advance and develop, um, as volunteer leaders in this neighborhood, serving Jesus. Yeah.
0: And I think, um, you know, being so laser focused on that one neighborhood, Poe Mill, I think that's what you said, right? Um, right. Yeah uh I I think that would uh, I would imagine that would keep you very um grounded in terms of what you are what you can and what you should be doing yeah. you know I think a lot of churches spread themselves uh, a little too thin yeah. uh by trying to be a church for you know, the whole Southeast or something, <laughs> yes. or they, like you said, they try and be a movement. Um, but, uh, that's awesome. I have been, it is a joy to uh, connect and follow you and Griggs on uh, social media. It's, it's been awesome. It's been a blessing to me uh, to see what God has been doing uh, through you and your church there. It just seems like God is doing a lot of tremendous things uh, in your community. So it's, it's so good to hear and mm-hmm. to see that. Thanks. Um, yeah. And so uh another question just uh so by way of just getting going here. Uh what are some of the things you know I uh recently I became a pastor this year full-time pastor of a church and uh I've only been in that position for um a couple months but I can already see myself uh growing and being um sort of chiseled down so to speak by God's spirit. Uh how would you say uh, then through the last couple of months or so, that God has grown you or or uh, maneuvered you in certain ways uh, in your life.
1: Yeah, well, I'd say a couple things that come to mind is that, first of all, as a pastor, one thing you really have to grow in is, I guess I'll call it diplomacy. The Bible word for it would probably be peacemaking, and um, so you really are giving up. Uh, you you're really giving up a chance to. Uh, I don't know what you call it exactly, but like dominate situations, take sides. At least if you're shepherding in a way that I believe in, um, you know, basically telling people my way or the highway, getting people mm. on your side to agree with you and advance your cause. Uh, really, I, I would say that a big thing as 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 pastors that we need to be doing is not helping people um, unite around our vision, but unite around each other. And so yes. we're really fighting for church unity. Um, by God's grace, our church does have great unity. Uh, by God, that's just, it's not because we're anything special, but just that's one way that God has really given us strength and grace in our congregation. But we have a pretty, by God's grace, diverse congregation. Um, not only in ethnicity, uh, though we still are looking to always grow in that, that form of diversity, but in young and old, in socioeconomic backgrounds, and single and married, kids, no kids. There's just a lot of diversity from where people yes. are from. And that's part of like Greenville too. A lot of people are moving into Greenville from all kinds of backgrounds. And so it's, we're not all just uh, folks who grew up in the Bible Belt. In fact, I'm not from mm-hmm. Greenville myself. So we, we are always seeking not to make the church a certain way and then build up whoever agrees with me on that. We're always seeking to see what the church as a whole Uh, can do together. And so you learn a lot of peacemaking skills as a pastor. And God's really been teaching me a lot about that over the last year, basically trying uh, to basically really what we want to do is be a church that disagrees. Um, Hmm. So Jesus talks about this in in the gospels. He says, if you love people who are just like you, you're no different than a Gentile, or obviously that means, you know, a sinner, a person marked by their sin, uh, a person who's not yet a believer because they do that. They love people who are just like them. But then that's where he says the famous line, well, if you're following me, you know, love your enemies. And so if we're to love even our enemies, <laughs> it's pretty clear that we are to love our brethren who we don't see quite eye to eye with. And so what we've, what we've been basically pushing, uh, well, really since 2015, but even in the last week's sermon, is this idea, uh, actually the last two weeks' sermons, um, has been this idea of we want to be a church chock full of disagreements so we can be a, a, a church chock full of uniquely Christian love, not mm. uh, just loving people who are just like us. So um, I guess he's been teaching me a lot about a lot about uh, helping people, a lot about being a peacemaker, being at peace myself with others. So internally, me personally, uh, being a pe- at peace with others, and then helping make peace between the parties that Inevitably, come up in any church. Right? If people say the church is a church, the uh, the place of cliques. That's just because it's a place of people, right? People just mm-hmm. somehow find the others who are like them, and yeah. uh, some of that's actually not unhealthy. To be honest with you, that's not that. Some of that is not even bad. Um, as long as there is an open hand of unity to anyone and everyone that is sure. calling themselves. You know, a Christian calling themselves a follower of Jesus um, to make sure that the one big click, if you will, of those in the fold is staying intact. Um, That's probably not the best word for it. So, yeah, you know, uh, that's really what's been going on in my heart. My life is this idea of diplomacy and peacemaking.
0: Mm, that's awesome. That's really good to hear. And I love the way you put that, uh, that you wanted to be a church that disagrees, mm-hmm. uh, just because it might seem like an abrasive thing to say, but it's actually very truthful. Yeah. And it goes along with what you were saying that it um, it goes along with, you know, being a church that's united, not because of who they are, but because of the Christ that they serve and love and the reason that's why they're there in the first place anyway. So uh, that's awesome. I love hearing that. Um, But uh, now to get sort of down to the uh, nitty gritty, as it were, excuse me, Um, you know, I brought you on because you have been very clear um, from the beginning of your time um, pastoring Griggs that you've been doing a church and involved in a church revitalization project. Um, I would say that you would have a lot of experience in that over the last couple of years um, and I just want to talk to you about that because I think it's an important subject but let's sort of start at the beginning um, how would you how would you define uh, church revitalization not just in your context but uh, overall in, in the bigger larger term of it
1: well, <clears throat> well there are a lot of definitions out there on church revitalization and I don't I don't know that I've come across really any that I thought, well, I mean, within uh, within a reason, that I thought were bad definitions. So I think the definition can be kind of broad at times, and, and it's good like that. It's a good thing. How I would how I start to talk about church revitalization, how I begin to define it, would be you're renewing, um, you're you're renewing the energy of a body who has lost energy. So I, I use that term energy. Um, to be sort of vague because every church revitalization needs something a little different, but they all need something very similar. Yes. So, um, I, I, I use the word energy because it might be that they need new energy and leadership, or maybe they have great leadership. You can have great leadership and still need a church revitalization because perhaps they need new energy in their, their, uh, their mission, new energy in their, uh, I guess you could say their, the, the way that the service feels the atmosphere, the, the, the ethos, new energy in the, even something as down to earth as the uh, bylaws, uh, mm. may, maybe not down to earth, but uh, down to uh, details, I guess, as, as, as something in the bylaws that is restrictive or that is no longer helpful, that has caused some issue. Uh, so I, I like to think of it as church revitalization is is serving a body that has lost energy and needs, re- needs energy. It needs energy in some way. Um, Though, of course, that could be different for any any body of believers. Some need a full resurrection, and that would be more of a replant than it would be a revitalization. Um, Some need a revitalization head to toe, if we're using the body metaphor. um, And others need uh, a a little bit less uh, revitalization. I mean, there are some people out there who are in bodies of believers who could do really, really – great missional work in their context if another church perhaps or some some group of believers with resources would help them with some facilities issues because the church obviously is not a place that's a people i'm clear on the doctrine of what the church is but in our country in America we use facilities to do ministry it's just that's mm-hmm. just that's part of the context we're in right now so even sometimes though revitalizing the church has um, much more to do with people than it does with Church buildings that we meet in sometimes it can be that, and they call it a church revitalization. That's defined. That someone's defining that as church revitalization when really they're they're revitalizing the way they spend money and the way they use their building and facilities. So the definition can be kind of broad. But so I like to begin the talk with we're renewing energy where it's been lost. Um, to go further into the definition would be would be something along the lines of. A church church is in decline, and we are taking the necessary steps to turn it around and make it thrive. A church is in um, uh, survival mode, and we're trying to do whatever it takes to uh, make it not only self-sustainable again, but um, uh, excelling and able to take care of someone else. Um, so yeah, so that would be the beginning of what I would call church revitalization.
0: And when, well, let me just ask this too, because, Mm -hmm. uh, like we're, how as a church revitalizer, so Mm -hmm. to speak, were you, is that something that you, uh, approach your congregation about, or is it just something that is a natural part of kind of what ministry looks like for Greg's? Like, was it like you declared, hey, we're revitalizing our body of believers or is it just something that's natural because of the state of affairs in the church in the neighborhood, etc. Yeah.
1: Oh, this is a great question. Um, because a lot of people ask, like a lot of people ask this question, do you state that you're revitalizing? Like should you should you tell people you're revitalizing or should you just get busy for Jesus and start revitalizing? You really mm. you really okay, so as 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 vague as my definition was of bringing energy where there was no energy, um, like I said, that is the be- that to me is kind of the beginning of the definition. Nine times out of ten, the, there's a great reason or a big reason or a very obvious reason, or it could be a handful of reasons. But there are there are notable reasons why the church declined. Churches don't typically decline for no reason. I mean, it could, I guess, happen in theory. <laughs> like you're doing everything right, and just people quit following Jesus, or people don't yeah. follow Jesus, or people. We never were following Jesus and they leave the church. I guess that's like somehow theoretically possible, but you can't change things. It's just like sin. You can't, you can't really repent without confessing your sin, right? When we get saved and meet Jesus, you know, we, we're confessing, we're naming. I had a problem, like it was sin and I'm repenting and I'm turning around. Revitalization happens when you, when you, you do declare like something was broken, we're now going to fix it. We've lost energy. That's a problem. Uh, and now to turn that mm-hmm. around, to gain energy, we have to declare where we lost it. We have to claim. We have to. We have to claim this mistake. This was a problem, and now we need to turn around. And so, yeah, I, when I came into Griggs, um, I, I definitely did. I definitely was throwing around this word a lot, talking about revitalization. Call, we I began to call our church publicly a uh, church revitalization. Uh, to to everyone, um, including the congregation that was there. And they also knew that the church needed to turn around. They knew that there were, that there were needs in the church. They knew that it was time to um, revitalize, to, to renew uh, our commitment to mission, our commitment to excellence, our commitment to Jesus and so forth. So, yeah, I definitely think you, so yes, I definitely did um, label us, I guess you could say as a church revitalization purposefully, and then additionally i do believe that we as church revitalizers should that should be part of that revitalization process yeah. uh, i don't think you have to call it necessarily the word revitalization but there should be some public declaration of turning around
0: yeah for sure now and did you uh, you can answer this if, if or not if you don't want to um but did you get any Sort of pushback when you were like, hey, we need to revitalize what we're doing. Um, Because I can see if, you know, there might not, if there's not necessarily a familiarity with that word and its context for, you know, church ministry and church life, it can kind of seem as if you're a guy just coming in wanting to change things as opposed to getting back to maybe where the church is supposed to be.
1: Yeah, you're going to get a lot of pushback. Uh, I do not. But you're, but it's very normal to get pushback. The people I was working with in this church just simply they were on board. They love Jesus. They love the neighborhood. I'm like, let's revitalize the church and reach the neighborhood. They're like, great, let's do that. That is abnormal. That is not. That's the exception, not the rule. I talk to church revitalizers all the time who the first year is nothing but pushback or something like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Though I mean, it could go longer. It could go shorter. But yes, there's always pushback. And the reason is, is because you have to – to say you're revitalizing is a, a admission of dying. You're, you're saying we are yeah. either dead or dying, and it's our fault, and we have to turn around. And that piece of it, it's our fault, is where people get hung up. Um, and it probably is their fault. I guess I don't know every church situation in the whole world. But it is their—it's typically our fault when the church dies. Okay, it's not Jesus' fault. Um, What we like to do, since we know it's not Jesus' fault, is we like to blame the world. Like, well, they need to revitalize and come to our church. They need to get their life right and come to church. The neighborhood should be should recognize that we have the truth, and they should thirst for that truth and come in and get the truth from us. And so we try to push that blame. Well, sinners just don't come. Well, the world these days just has gone too far and they won't come and all this, whatever. And so that's where you're going to get that pushback is is when someone doesn't want to take the blame for their church not working. And the blame does fall with that. Uh, because really, if you, uh, and that's just a clear, that's clearly just a misunderstanding of Jesus. I mean, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He he transformed, if you will, from, to it, from the throne of heaven to the God-man and he he uh reached out to those who needed him versus waited for them to reach out to him. So it's just a it's a misunderstanding of of, of the gospel to believe that we're good they need to come to us. Mm-hmm. Um that's not the great commission at all, right? The great commission starts with the word go. So yeah. um it's really at the pushback how you get through it when you do receive that pushback because it is 9 times out of 10 going to be there is you get through it by, under, by by knowing what's really going on is that they're not against you. They're against the Great Commission. Mm. And, they're, they're, and by against, I mean, perhaps they're not against it in their heart, but they're misunderstanding it at least. Yeah. And perhaps they are against it. Um, and they're unwilling to admit that something was broken for so long. And so, yeah, you're going to get that pushback. And the only way that I've, t- and I've talked to several men who've, who've through revitalizations, and the only way they can get through it is to is to revert back to their doctrine, their theology that that, that proper understanding of, of of Jesus' ministry, that incarnational ministry, and the proper understanding of the Great Commission.
0: Mm. Well, that's yeah, that that's really good advice too, and I think it's really important um, that uh, that not only do you prepare yourself for it, but you kind of expect it too, mm-hmm. um, because. Again, uh, as with any ministry, you're a broken person dealing with other broken people. Right, Um, that's true. But (laughs) um, another question I wanted to ask you because I was – when I was sort of doing my – I do a lot of prep for these things. And, you know, there's sort of – I hate to use this term, but there's sort of a romanticism involved with church planting, Mm -hmm. Um, I think, nowadays. And how would you say that a church plant is different than – a church revitalization. Now, I know some of the logistics, of course, are different, but is there a difference in approach and in a methodology uh, when you're when you're approaching a revitalization versus a church plant?
1: Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is church planting. You get to start from scratch, and so there are the reason I think it is kind of, I guess, romanticized, as you put it, is um, if it does work out. You know, you get a lot of credit for that. Uh, (laughs) You didn't start with anything and you started something and it it went well. And It it carries a lot of the marks of your leadership, your personality, your style. Um, With church revitalization, it is a little less glamorous in a lot of ways. Um, And it's because you're not starting from scratch. Um, In fact, most of your friends are going to think you're crazy whenever you start revitalizing (laughs) a church because you're going in not to something new that isn't broken but something old and broken, right? So, um, now it doesn't have to be old. I mean, just to be clear, if you're a, a church of five years, five years and you've lost, and you've lost your way and you're declining, you could probably need revitalization, even though your church isn't old technically. Mm-hmm. But most of the time we're talking about older churches that have in some way lost, lost what lost energy. Um, and so, so the difference being uh the difference in approach is in church planting you're cutting edge sometimes you're starting something new i mean it's really not new it's two thousand years old but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of ways in which you can some of the the marks of your church plant can seem brand new yeah in church revitalization you're coming in and you're trying to re-energize something old in other words um Church plants, at least in my experience, and I and it is limited, so forgive me. But many church plants start with things like the name, the name of the church. They start mm. with things like the core values. They start with things like slogans and and, and graphics. And now, of course, I am sure they're gathering. And you know, I have lots of pastor friends that are church planters. They gather cores and they start preaching and teaching and they start doing small groups and these things. But they're 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 starting with things uh, from that are, that are pretty well thought out. Perfect. Good. They sound awesome. In a church revitalization, you're going into something that isn't flashy and you're, you're not, (laughs) you're not necessarily changing that into something flashy. You're not necessarily changing that into something perfect or relevant or cutting edge. You're really more looking to make those things work. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. Our church is called Griggs Memorial Baptist Church. Okay, if I was starting a church, I just tell you, I would not call it Griggs Memorial Baptist Church. (laughs) Like that would not be how I would reach Greenville. Okay, is say, hey, come on over to you know Griggs Memorial Baptist Church. Number one question we get is who was Griggs? Griggs was a guy in our community who passed away, and uh, he was very loved, and and we wanted to name it after. Of course, I wasn't a part of the church back then, but the church wanted to name their ministry after him. And back then, that was what you did when someone that was well-known and loved passed away, at least mm. in our, our town. You named something after him. So um, I wouldn't call it Greg's Memorial Baptist Church. Okay, So I didn't rename the church. I didn't go in and say, all right, we're going to be, in, we're going to have this awesome name. It's going to be really cool. Everyone's going to get it right when they see it. The logo's going to be just killer. It's going to go on T-shirts and bumper stickers. It's going to be great. <laughs> what I did was I took Greg's Memorial Baptist Church and owned it, and um, we did we did do some redesign, obviously some 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 uh, I guess you call it branding, so uh, you know to to get ourselves recognizable and stuff like that. Um, but there you go. I mean that that therein lies some of the difference because now mm-hmm. we're not only doing that with the name, but we're doing that with the space. So for yeah. instance, if I was planting a church and I had to rent, I'd rent a space um, and, and I would make it look, uh, I guess, how I wanted it to look. As a 30-year-old you know, young guy with a wife and two kids, I'd make the space look how I wanted it to look. Okay, but I had to own a building that had pews, wooden pews, and those things are like solid oak, man. They ain't going nowhere, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, that had a baptistry built in with like a painting of a river behind it. Uh, carpet from, I don't know, when Jesus walked the earth, I mean, old <laughs> carpet, you know, you're, you're coming into those things and you're starting to own it and you're starting to put energy into it. And yes, there is a lot of changes that come down the road with church revitalization. Um, you start like we've ripped up that carpet. We've put a logo around that name. Um, but, but, but the idea is, you're, you're growing into those things. You're growing into those changes because they're not the first thing. You don't get to do that first. So in other words, when you start a church plant, there might be some attraction to it. When you start a church revitalization, there may not be attraction. So you have to. So you have a lot different way of... Um, you have a lot different work. You have a lot different to-do list than a mm. church plant.
0: Yes. In, well, my, then,
1: in my opinion, I guess.
0: No, I think it makes a lot of sense. Right. And um, to me... Um, It kind of brings me to my next question, but also, you know, I kind of want to hedge it maybe just a little bit because, um, you know, I said the word romanticism because I do think that uh, it has been romanticized and to use a word that you mentioned, uh, glamorized in our sort of Christian um, world that church planting is sort of the pinnacle of the Great Commission ministry. Mm -hmm. Right. which i don't necessarily agree with and number one by no means am i trying to demean or diminish the importance of church planting but you know by no means the apostle says <laughs> but neither do i think that it is the zenith of you know the gospel of grace going around the world and in fact i would say there is much more of a need and a a urgency, I think, for church revitalization, especially in areas um, like the Midwest and New England, places mm-hmm. where um, the gospel was taken and now has been extremely lost or just mm-hmm. cast aside. Um, and so that's why I would it kind of leads me to another question I would say is 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 that the reason or is there any other reasons you can think of why? church revitalization is crucial for modern American Christians? Yeah. Uh, well, this is really
1: where I, I thrive. I, I like talking about this. Mm. Uh, and I hope it's not just a soapbox or a pet peeve or, or what have you. Or I hope <laughs> I'm not just tooting my own horn because I I do I am involved in a church revitalization. But church revitalization has to happen now or or it, if you think like the church is diminishing, it's about to get way worse. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. We're closing 3,700, they say. I mean, if you read a blog like Ed Stetzer's or Tom Rainer's or someone like that, we're, we're, we're closing 3,700 churches a year. At least that's what they say. That's about like what, 10 a day or something like that. Roughly. Additionally, there are guys out there like Tom Rainer and others who would say that of the churches that exist, you got about seven out of 10 who would who would say to some degree that they need renewal. They need new energy. They need a church revitalization by any definition. They need some sort of turnaround. If you read the books on church revitalization, such as Comeback Churches by Ed Stetzer, or I'm reading one by, um, and actually I'll, I'll get the name. We may be linking in the show notes because I don't want to get it wrong. I know the Uh, I know it's a really popular book, but it's called From Embers to a Flame, How God Can Revitalize Your Church. If you read these things, you're going to start recognizing most churches are not that cool. Hmm. Like, is that okay to say? Like, most churches are not flashy. They don't have great bands. They don't have dynamic pastors. Your average church in America is way less in fact, than one hundred people, it's around seventy-five people, but it's probably a little lower because we always report our highest numbers. I don't know if you know anything <laughs> about Church World, but nobody's like really telling the truth. No. Okay, um, they're less than seventy-five people, in my estimate. Okay, and and there the the there's a lot of Christians who do flock to the nearest faster-growing church, leaving your average church even even in worse shape. So, what I what I, I guess what I'm saying is. It's like two pedals on a bike. Yeah, we need church planters, and I praise God for every church planter. Thank you for, for sacrificing your time, your life, your talent, your energy for church planting. Praise God. But it's like two pedals on a bike. We need that pedal going, and we need another pedal. We need church revitalizers, and this is straight from the Bible. Um there's almost, I can't, besides church planting, I can't think of anything more biblical than church revitalizing. Yes, pa- Paul Paul goes out, he starts a whole bunch of churches on his first, second missionary journey. And then when he's talking in Acts, he's, he's like, let's go back through on our third missionary journey, I believe it is, and let's go and see how the churches are doing. Um, let's go, and then the Bible tells us later in the book of Acts that he goes around and strengthens those churches. That's called church revitalization. He, he sends Titus to Crete. Uh, to all those churches to put things in order. In other words, things have gotten out of order. Things are not yet in order. They need revitalization. Elders need to be picked. Deacons need to be picked. They need to be run well. You get to the end of the book, Revelation uh, chapters two and three, all of those churches to some degree need church revitalization. Particularly uh, obvious is the Ephesian church who has all this doctrine and all this hard work, but they've left their first love. That's a need of church revitalization. Um, which is why my church of my church revitalization definition is probably a little too broad for most people um, because it's like, well, we need doctrine. well, the Ephesians apparently they were they found out who was not a real apostle and called them out because they had the doctrine, mm. and I think in that passage the Bible talks about how they were laboring, they had hard work, so it's not that just oh well, we need harder work workers, more leaders and servants in the church. well, they just needed to get back to their first love. Um, really? to love God, love others. Um, and so there's a lot that goes on in church revitalization. But anyway, what is, Jesus doesn't call them to church plant. He calls them to revitalize their church um, in Ephesians and the church of Ephesus, one of the more popular churches in the New Testament. It's talked about a lot. And so, um, and so, yeah, what I would say is the reason I revitalize churches is because, one, that does tend to be where my gifting Leads. Uh, I have, uh, by God's grace, I've been given spiritual gifts um, that kind of really fit that that need. But additionally, this is just as biblical as church plant. It's just as biblical. It's just as helpful. It's just as needed. It's just as vital. And um, and it, it's it's now or never. A little bit in North America, in my opinion. Um, now, of course, I hold out. I love the American church. I hold out hope Jesus can do all things, uh, but He's called us to some things, and one of those things is church revitalization. And so, we should be sending out church planters out the wazoo, and we should be sending out church revitalizers. Yes, uh, I mean, I think churches love to say, "Man, we sent out all these new pastors, and they're doing church plants, and everybody applauds, and we should applaud." But how cool would it be if they're like, "And we sent out?" three or four pastors to just revitalize old churches and and that were about to close their doors. That's just the same victory.
0: Yes, 100%. And <laughs> I will join you on the soapbox a little bit just because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I would totally agree that it's almost coming to a juncture in the American church where we're going to go one way or the other, so to speak not, that it's perhaps in our lifetime even, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to come. And, um, I think what you said is important because uh, I was thinking, you know, church planters will come from a church that's revitalized. And to me, that's kind of not, I want to put one sort of ministry over another one in terms of importance, but, um, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come to the church first. And to me, that's, uh, why it's important for revitalization, for reformation, to use that word, uh, again, uh, for the church just because <laughs> the same problems that Paul was facing when he was writing those letters and ministering in Ephesians were facing today. And mm-hmm. so obviously there's a need for revitalization to, again, like you said, get back to the first love of the church. And so mm-hmm. 100% agreed with you uh, on that uh, um, aspect there. And that kind of you know is a good transition because you've been uh, while you have uh, been revitalizing Griggs, you've been adamant about um, the most important aspect which, of revitalization, which is Jesus. Uh, I think you wrote a blog on that, didn't you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a little bit about that in case I didn't want to cut you off. There. Did you have a question right after that?
0: No, no. Go ahead. Feel feel free.
1: Well, yeah. So revitalizing the church it, at the at the core is getting back to your first love. Yeah. That really is. That's really the, uh, the, the tool. So there's, this is just something, I guess I'll just go into this right now because I think it fits with the line that, of questioning you're about to get into, but this idea of revitalizing the church, the reason it's worth it, the reason it's needed is be, is the same reason that you'd preach the gospel anywhere. Like over the last decade, I think we've had a resurgence of knowledge that the gospel is not just for the lost. It's for the found as well. It doesn't, just save you. It builds you and sanctifies you. Well, it's the same thing for the church. The gospel establishes a church and the gospel revitalizes a church. And so here's why I'm passionate about church revitalization because church revitalization ultimately is a call to refocus on Jesus, like Jesus, (laughs) like the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, living like him, talking like him, walking like him, breathing, eating, sleeping, Jesus. Um, So when we started to revitalize, we hit the book of Mark, and we took over a year just going page by page, line by line every Sunday through the book of Mark. And the big idea wasn't even uh, to apply this in some real fancy way that is really exegetical and awesome and noteworthy and pat on the back, but just to say, all right, so Jesus did this. We got to go do that, right? Jesus said this. We should be saying this. Jesus uh, preached this. We should be preaching this. And really, that was the application. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and go do that. Mm. And that that actually is what revitalizes the church. Yes. So there's this myth that you start from the outside and go in. So the myth of church revitalization is rebrand it, change the name, change the space, make it look cooler, change the music, change the, change the hymns to the modern songs or whatever and not that that's bad it's just that's not that's not going back to your first love no. that's like that's like changing the clothes on a cadaver you know before his funeral doesn't bring <laughs> him back to life at all hmm. um so you start with the inside and go out yes so when i started revitalizing the first thing i did was just call us all to look at mark the book of mark and see are we living like jesus and that bleeds right into conversions because if you're living like jesus you're gonna be hanging out with the lost and seeking redemptive relationships with them and that's what we started to do uh which brought in a lot of new people from our neighborhood because then we started to before we ever did anything with the outsider uh, uh if you will of the body of the church we just started inviting people into um walking with jesus talking with Jesus and living like Jesus. And so part of that for us was going out to the neighborhood and holding events and bringing them into the church for dinners and providing food for the hungry and serving in all kinds of ways, particularly kids ministry. Um, and so really a church revitalization starts with not the outside of the church, but the the, the inside of the church. And first thing we got to do is get back to our first love and really ask it like if we're Christians, are we living like Christ like personally? Yes. Um, which really speaks to one other quick thing is that church revitalization is all about how you see the church. Mm-hmm. It's all about how you see the congregation of a church that needs revitalization. Here's, here's, I think the rub with, with a overemphasis, uh, if it's even possible on church planting. Um, of course I do believe we should highly, highly, highly emphasize church planting. I'm probably the biggest church planting fan out there. Uh not really, but you know what I mean. Like I'm very inter- into into yes. church planting. I have I'm very behind it, uh, obviously. But I think what you're getting at in the romanticism of church planting and some of that uh, what we call the glamorizing of church planting, which by the way, church planters once they're uh, most of them that I know don't think of it as they they more feel like they're in a war <laughs> than they do a fashion show. Yes, I those particular – I think it's the people who wish they were church planners is more than a stereotype. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, because um, most church planners are, are hardcore, man. They're, <laughs> they're living and breathing spiritual warfare. But uh, what I would say is I think the rub is there's this sense in which we're more ready to give birth because there's this hope that it could go you know perfectly. I think um, there's this this idea that since we've seen so many failures in the church – uh, universal, so many failures in the American church, let's give birth and fix those failures. Mm. Okay, well, what you're communicating in that is that the flocks that have failed are not worthy of you're communicating whether you like it or not, that those flocks that have failed, that have fizzled out, that have lost their energy, that have lost their effectiveness, you're communicating that they are not loved, mm. that they're not to be loved, that they're not to be you know, given uh, grace that they're not to be given help, that they're not to be, their burdens are not worthy to be bared. Mm. Um, and so, one thing about church revitalization that can get tricky is even in church revitalization, if you have a church that is willing to help other churches revitalize, or a pastor who is willing to go into a church and revitalize, it can mistakenly be treated as a church plant. Mm. It's like, well, we have a shell, we have a a shell of something that used to exist. We have a building, we have 20 people, we have a little, li- probably a little, but a little bit of money in the bank. And so we can take all that and, and kind of like a car, sell it for parts and start a church plant with these people if they're willing to let us take over. That's not really, that's not really grace. That's not really mercy. That's not really love. No. What, what, church revitalization is about seeing those flocks, those sheep as wounded. Um, of course, there's going to be, at times, some wolves in there you have to drive out. There are some people in church revitalizations that almost like the fact that no one's been baptized for 10 years, because that means they haven't been bothered by an outsider. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously not a sheep, right? <laughs> because true sheep true sheep want nothing but more yes. sheep. <laughs> um, so yeah, you might have to drive a wolf out here and there, which is part of the job of the elder. But the big idea is most of those people are just wounded sheep that need a whole bunch of grace, a whole bunch of love. They don't need, just like Jesus doesn't yell at us to change before he saves us, they need grace and then eventually be led to change that if if necessary, when necessary. And so there's two ways to see that congregation in a church revitalization. The first way is to see it as an opportunity for you to do your own thing and to basically plant a church within a church. Um, or the other way is to see it as a, as a chance to restore those who are weak, to restore, to, to bear those who have burdens, uh, to bear the burdens of those who have them, to, um, to, to, to love people back into a vibrant walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, that either you see the congregation as someone who could come back to a vibrant walk with Jesus and turn the world upside down, or you see them as a chance for you to turn the world upside down, probably for your glory. So revitalization is, in conclusion, really about getting a wounded group of sheep back in love with the shepherd.
0: Mm, that's really good, and, I, and and I think too uh, to go back to your sort of sense of urgency, um, and it, 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 that's kind of like even what I saw when I was you know in Bible school, and even people I've been around. Um, this this sense of, of there, the the affinity for church revitalization wasn't there because just because of what you said it, you're going into a difficult and and oftentimes completely dead ministry and that doesn't sound glamorous to anyone um, and I think that's kind of it goes back to what you're saying is is um, you know getting people to fall back in love with their shepherd that's sometimes difficult work. Um, to get them to see their the need for that, um, but I did like what you said um, the fact that um you know about change you know you can 't preach change to people and expect them to change uh, the only thing that changes people is Jesus and his grace, and so that 's you know that that 's like the fundamental thing not only of church revitalization but preaching in general but uh anyways um, no i would I, I totally uh am I really liked how you defined that. That That's a really good uh, picture of what church revitalization is and what it should look like. Um, Seeing that then, um, not that Jesus isn't practical, but on a practical functional level, what are some other things that you did or would recommend to do or have been recommended to do in your revitalization process um, in terms of, not just branding or just like functional things uh, in the church, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Well,
1: and that, I know what you mean that it is kind of tough to ask that question because the church is us. We're the people, right? But then the way we do ministry here, there's the church as in almost Joe, the, the the extra stuff we have to do to sort of organize and, and, uh, and all that. And so, so yeah, I get the question, though, and I know exactly what you mean by practical and functional. Here's what I'd say, and I kind of already hit this, but I'll hit it again because it's so important, is you want to start with the inside and work out. So you don't start with the outside and work in. At least that's my opinion. So what I would say is you're starting with the preaching of Jesus, but then you want to start something all the way as internal as you, you, you want to start recognizing changes that need to be made as internal as you can get first and work your way external. So what I mean by that is the first thing I would do is – and the first thing I did do is, is not changed but reworded to a degree our, doct- our statement of doctrine or our statement of faith. Um, I would look at something like as internal as that, something as foundational as that. So before you do a website <laughs> where there's awesome like online giving uh, in a church revitalization, though that's definitely something you want to do because most church revitalizations do need stuff like that. Um, you want to go as deep and as internal as you can. So, and then start with anything that needs to be changed there. So for example, and this is just an example. Um, and and I, by no means want to get controversial or anything, but like you might find a church that really needs revitalization that says to be a member of the church, you have to believe in a particular eschatology, a very particular, like a very, not just that Jesus is coming back, but like, here's how it's going to go down. (laughs) Uh, And i am as christians we know as and the, and i would even say somebody who writes a doctrine statement like that deep down would know like that's not um that's not a requirement for membership in church or for for unity or for brotherhood the exactness of that eschatology so you may look and find some of these things in old, especially i mean i'm talking if you're in a church that's old for, like that's some of these things are going to be very easy to spot um you want to start explaining why we need to revitalize the doctrine statement. So put new energy into something that's lost energy, right? Put new energy into the doctrine statement. Why don't we do this? Why don't we? Why don't we say let's find the ten things we will fight for? Because we're not going to die for a particular, a very, very, very particular set of eschat, uh, eschatological views. Right? Uh, we're not going to die for that. Jesus didn't call us to die for that. Jesus does call us to die for the fact that he will return. That we cannot let go. He will return. We'll fight for that. So why don't we change this statement on our doctrine statement to, to, to say that. Right? We believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ where all those who believed will be ushered into the new heaven, new earth. And all those who did not will experience what the Bible calls the second death in the lake of fire. So you you reword it to exactly so you reword that doctrinal statement that that could be as as where you start even you you go as internal as you can and start revitalizing for us at our church that uh, that meant checking out the church constitution and the bylaws and seeing what what need to be revitalized what, what new energy could be put into that uh, for us that meant our 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 system of leadership we elected some new leaders uh, for us those are typically what uh, we we. we we're deacon led, so we we uh, some might call it, others might call that that board an elder board. It does. I'm not really worried about how your government particularly works, uh, because there are there's obviously a lot of room for um, freedom in that and scripturally to a degree. So you know, we just started electing new deacons um, and redefining that role a little bit, even on what they do and how they do it and when they meet. Um, then the Um, music. We did it. Now here's where you have some freedom. You work with the congregation. I I really, everyone wants to know, but I really don't, this is my opinion. I really don't think you got to go, if you have traditional music, I think the myth is you have to change it to non-traditional music. Um, I really don't think that's true. Believe it or not, I, I do not believe that, I believe there is a whole lot of people out there who do not go to church for good music. I believe there's a lot of people who go to church for relationships. And so I don't think you have to actually change the style of the music, but you want to put new effort or new energy into your music program. And so when what I, well, I mean by that is I don't think, I think there is a myth that if we don't change the music, people won't come, or if we don't have awesome music, people won't come, or if we don't have something, you know, fill in the blank, people won't come. I think people are going to come because you're going to start down the road with missional relationships here in a minute. And so why don't you, while you're working on the music thing, just don't worry about changing it completely. Just put new energy into it. That's my opinion. So what we did was how that worked for us at Griggs is that we took, we still use the hymns that our church is traditionally sung. And instead of playing it with um, like, I guess, a piano and an organ, we played uh, with a guitar, and a tambourine, or two guitars, and a violin, or some different instrumentation, and um, once in a while, we threw in a little bit different melody, or a different chorus, or, or something like that, so we kind of just put new energy into the music, without making it do a 180, and to be honest, that has been perfectly, um, that's been exactly what our church wanted, and needed, it glorifies God, it fits our needs, and, and it's a way of worship that we really enjoy, um, and so you're starting internal, and then going, and going external. So after music, uh, might be the way you greet. It might be the way you do kids ministry. It might be the way you do nursery. It might be the way that you do college and career, whatever you whatever you want to call it. But you just find out what's what's the next thing. Until then, finally you get towards externals. Um, somewhere down the line, you're going to get towards you're going to get towards website branding, building, renovation, and those things are important. But if you start with the outside and go in, you might spend a whole bunch of money re- renovating your building. And you might spend a whole bunch of money on a logo and a website. And then you find out there's this massive issue on the inside uh, that, 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 you, that, that needs to be fixed. And, and you've wasted a lot of time to get to that. Um, and so now people might be visiting because you have an awesome website. Or people might be visiting because you put out some awesome promotional materials. But now they're coming into something that has yet to be um, ironed out in a healthy way on the inside and so iron out everything you can internally work your way externally um now obviously in there basically you're going to start revitalizing the way you do evangelism um so 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 here's what i would recommend and here here's here's what i preach right? worship jesus revitalize the church reach the neighborhood Right, so you start with Jesus. You start you just start worshiping Jesus. I don't care if you have a congregation of five or fifty, or five hundred that needs revitalized. You just the first Sunday, you're just gonna. I mean, pray in Jesus' name. Uh, give testimonies about Jesus. Preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Preach the life of Jesus. Sing songs that are not just about the Lord, not just about. Uh, God in general or the good the goodness of the Christian life but sing songs that mention Jesus really get back to Jesus. That's that's first revitalize the church start internal work your way external and then kind of layer layered on top of that in the midst of that is reach the neighborhood. And so I'm a huge believer that really there's one church. It's a universal church. It's all the people in all times places cultures that believe in Jesus. They are divided by Geography. Now, of course, because of traditions and and some of the ways we operate, I don't think it's wrong that we have denominations. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I would say it could be wrong, but I, I'm not worried about it, right? But really, that doesn't divide us. That is a way to organize us. I, I, well, this is how I view this, and this is how you view that. So we're going to organize this way into different denominations. Uh, but if they do divide us, then it is wrong because really we're not we're not divided by anything but geography. If you go to the New Testament, Paul never thought of churches as anything but the church here at Colossae, the church there at Ephesus, the church there at Philippi, that's what divided the church was geography. And so now that we've bloomed into the global family that we are of 2 billion plus people, um, now we have not just the church at Greenville, we have a hundred different expressions of Jesus' church in Greenville. So we're still divided by geography, but it's now even uh, micro-geography. We're the church on this side of town, you're the church on that side of town. And so churches should be taking care of their locale. They're, they're, that's why we call it the local church. You're responsible for the body of believers that live by you. I'm not saying it's wrong to drive 30 minutes to go to church by any means. I'm just saying, in an ideal, uh, idealistically, <laughs> we're taking care of our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself does mean anyone, but it definitely means your neighbors. And so um, we believe that the church should immediately, in the revitalization, focus on. Any and everyone who is within a one mile to five mile radius around them. So pick a neighborhood, and perhaps a lot of older churches, at least, were actually established directly in a neighborhood. Like our church is across the street from 320 houses, we're part of the neighborhood. Um, so reach the neighborhood you're in, or if you're not directly in a neighborhood, perhaps you're on a road. In a, on a side of town, you're not necessarily directly next to houses, fine, then pick the nearest subdivision, pick the nearest apartment complex, pick the nearest group of people who live in your community, and just reach, start focusing on blessing them out of their minds. And that will revitalize a church unlike any website, logo, or building project ever could. So we, uh, we're obviously in a neighborhood, so it's easy for us, but you pick a subdivision, you pick a group You pick a, you pick a, a a apartment complex, you pick a side of town and you say, all right, this is, this is our responsibility. And we feed them. We clothe them. We house them. We comfort them. We visit them in the hospital. We do their funerals. We do their, uh, you know, their, their anything. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I could go on and on, but that's what we started doing. So I started pastoring the neighborhood, but well before the neighborhood started coming to church, um, so, you know, I mean it's I, I hit now we're old school. I'm not saying everybody should do it this way, but we're hitting doors. Now I don't go door to door with like tracks necessarily or something like that, but we go door to door and I say, I'm a pastor, every Wednesday night we hold a prayer meeting. What can we pray for you for? And this may not be everybody's deal, because we're in the South, it's a little different, so you have to kind of contextualize. But for us, you you go to someone's door in our neighborhood and say, on Wednesday night a bunch of us are gonna pray, what can we pray for? They're gonna tell you something. Hey my cousin was in a car wreck or whatever you know they're going to find something to say and then you come back 2 weeks later and say we prayed for you and what i found was within a few weeks or maybe even a month i'm sitting on porches uh having straight con- like just long conversations with people here in the neighborhood they're getting to know me i'm getting to know them we're exchanging facebook's uh profiles we're exchanging phone numbers and and, and there's been people where They've called me for marriage counseling before they come to the church. They've called me to preach their great aunt's funeral before they come to the church. They, they call me when they're in the hospital to come visit them before they're in the church. And, um, and that's fine because we're reaching the neighborhood. They're not reaching out to us. Like it's not the other way around. Neighborhood has to come to church. It's that the church has to go to the neighborhood. But the thing is, when the church starts to own a place, when that church starts to own a neighborhood— when that church starts to own a side of town like that, and it has to be pretty small. I mean, I want micro laser focus on it. as is, is, is my opinion, my belief. When you start to do that, you revitalize like crazy. Because remember what I said at the beginning is revitalization is, is pouring new energy into, into something that's lost its energy. Well, the church gets, the church, once it sees a, a doable goal, like we can, we can take care of these 320 houses, we can provide childcare, we can, do a soup kitchen or a or a food bank or what have you depending on your needs in that side of town they will be they will be very energetic to to do that um in my real 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 deal christians would be and as those people start to come in and come to church even if it's a handful of them when a handful of new people come to a church that's used to being about 30 people that's a huge shift in the organization and it it, it definitely is something to be celebrated and people start to celebrate and the church might stay small for a while but where they used to feel like they were dead now they feel like they're living because we got five new people in the church and we helped them out and that was us because of christ and uh so 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 i don't even know where that question started but that's my that's the big idea of what i'd recommend a church revitalizer do start as internal as you can on the revitalization but somewhere in that mix you've got to reach the neighborhood
0: yeah no that was a that was the perfect answer Mitch so thank you for that um but I did want to get one more question in before we kind of wrap things up and that is um I'm woefully inexperienced in this and uneducated in this, but I imagine that you know a church planter has a certain goal in mind you know that one day he's not gonna call this a church plant anymore um I would imagine i don't know if that's true or not. Is that the same thing for a church revitalization? And by that, I mean, is there a quote-unquote finish line for a church revitalization? Or is it that you're you know, sort of that semper reformanda, you are always be reforming? Um, yeah, is there something like that in your context or in your experience? Or um, how, would you, how would you approach that?
1: Well, uh, here's what I'd say at first. Every church will oh so there's there's always a time to revitalize in, in a in a sense right so we're not talking about like we're not talking about revitalization in a de, in, in a small scale or a small sense like oh we need to start doing that better when you're talking about church revitalization you're talking about a label that you've put on a church so this is a this is not a church that could use a little help here use a little help there I mean this is a church that is defined by its decline. And now we have to define it by turning around from decline. Okay, so in that sense, okay, a church revitalization, in my opinion, would be done revitalizing. Again, this is my opinion on it. There's no, I don't, I'm not going to back this up with like a verse, but would be done, done revitalizing when it's defined by incline. Okay, so to put a little bit more teeth on that, um, I'll, t- I'll, I'll put it this way most uh, here's how I define discipleship okay a disciple is made technically right uh we see that Jesus starts to call people disciples before uh before they're really in even right? so he has disciples that leave him uh like for instance um in the in the gospels he'll call a group of people those are my disciples and he's not talking about the twelve disciples he's just talking like those are my followers my disciples, and then some of my disciples you know, have fallen away. They've left because I, you know, I said this and they couldn't handle it or I, or whatever. Okay. And so discipleship kind of starts when we start following Jesus. Of course, we believe that, um, upon conversion of Christ, like when you really repent of your sin, put that faith in Jesus and start, and and he becomes the king of your life, um, is when you are, is when you are a disciple, you started to follow him, you're in, um, and so what would we say, when do you stop being a disciple? Well, never. Um, however, I would say that there's, this, there's still a goal there. Okay, so the goal of discipleship to me would be, you know you've kind of met some goals as a disciple when you make a disciple, right? So um, how do you know that you've discipled someone? Well, they started following Jesus. They believed in Jesus, And then they got someone else following Jesus. And that other person, by the grace of God, believed in Jesus. So you know you've discipled someone when your disciple makes a disciple, (laughs) right? Um, That's kind of a goal you can set, though they're always going to be a disciple. So I would say that I I actually don't know how church planters uh, decide when they call themselves a church rather than a church plant. My guess is that there is some time. Uh, or a timeline to where they're like, "Well, it's been 20 years. We're not really a plant." Um, I, I don't know if there's a timeline. I guess I could ask them. Uh, they could respond to this uh, in the comments or on Twitter or something. But for revitalizing, how I like to define it is when a revi- is when a revitalizing church knows it's done revitalizing. When it, through its story, its experience, its its experience of grace and its revitalization revital helps send out effort, money, people, pastors to revitalize another church. So the reason I call it, the reason I say a revitalizing church knows it's done revitalizing when it revitalizes or has a hand in revitalizing another church is because so much has to happen for a church in decline to get to a place where it can help a church in decline. I mean, it has to be like, one, it has to turn its giving around, it has to become self-sustaining. It has to turn its leadership around. It has to become self-governing. Um, it has to turn its mission around. And it has to It has to not only has have the people it needs to survive, but people to spare, people to send. Um, and so, so much needs to be turned around to help a church in decline that I think that is a really perfect goal, a really perfect marker of when a church revitalization becomes a becomes not just a church revitalization, but now uh, the church, a full-fledged functioning body of believers. Um, and in that sense, I do think that the revitalized church should always be revitalizing other churches as almost like the stones they would pile up in the Old Testament. <laughs> Remember, this is where God split you know, the water. This is where God saved our lives from the battle. Right We should always be revitalizing other churches as a church that's gone through revitalization to always remember the time we could have died but Jesus brought through resurrection um, we we were we were about to cease to exist as a church, but now uh, by God's grace, we stand where we would have fallen um, and so our goal at Griggs is to be a church revitalization that revitalizes other churches for the rest of its existence. Um, as a reminder to where we were in 2015 when there was five members, no pastor, one deacon, and barely enough money to keep the lights on. So uh, I, that's my opinion on when a church revitalization is sort of done revitalizing. It's when it gets into the world of revitalizing other churches. Mm,
0: that's a good answer, and I would. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense uh, when you can become a healthy church and able to help other sick churches. So um, thanks for that. I think that was a perfect answer. Um, I'll just ask these sort of two other questions simultaneously, and then just kind of, even though they're somewhat unrelated, uh, but then you can sort of have the, have the last word. Uh, there uh, is number one: what are some of the best or some of the most impactful resources you could recommend on church revitalization? And then number two, my second question would be: is um, sort of, uh, or maybe not even a question, but maybe just give your quote-unquote last-ditch sales pitch for church revitalizers.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I'd say that Tom Rainer and Ed Stetzer are two of, they're not the only, but they're probably two of the leading voices on church revitalization. So I would recommend their books, their blogs, uh, I think Ed Stetzer, not yet, but I think pretty soon we'll have actually a, um, a course, almost like an online course you can buy on church revitalization. He does have a course on breaking the 200 barrier that has a lot of good principles in it that probably could be applied to church revitalization at some point, but he's going to actually have a specific course on church revitalization coming out soon. So Tom Rainer and Ed Stetzer, um, they do really, really good work. Uh, the book I'm reading now is called From Embers to a Flame how your church, how God can revitalize your church. Um, That's a good book. Uh, So far, so good. I recommend it. Um, uh, But I'd say the best resource uh, for for church revitalization is a fellow pastor in the area who's done it. That's what's really helped me. Uh, That's what's really helped other church revitalizations, that I know of that have thrived is finding is finding a pastor who's done it if that's not possible though then um those guys Ed Setzer and Tom Rayner are probably your first two to go to for a lot of good information my last my last ditch effort to get you uh to revitalize a church I guess um, would be would be this um, that Jesus revitalized you. That's the big idea. So I know that that's the same with church planting, right? you You go and start something because Jesus started something in your life. you go and you, church pl- church plants many times result in a lot of converts because uh, something new is being birthed and being started we we had a new birth in Jesus. Um, he He was the original church planter uh, in Matthew sixteen and in acts two. Uh, but church revitalizer uh, really it just stems back to being appreciative of the fact that Jesus revitalizes you. We, we really are just like Israel. Israel was always going through a cycle, and we all know that from reading the Old Testament. They would repent, do really well, fall into idolatry, get hurt from their idolatry, call out to God. He would do some saving act, and they would repent, and then it would start over, that cycle. And so all the time in the Old Testament, right? we see Jesus revitalizing. Uh, well, God the Father, if you uh, revitalizing uh, his people. And as Christians, we kind of go through that cycle. We just don't go through it on the, the grand scale. We go through it on more of like a daily, hourly scale. I mean, who? I mean, what? To even take today, this beautiful Friday. I mean, have we we've we've been inflamed for God and um, and we've had passion for God? And at the same time, in this very same day, we could have a stretch of hours where we are idolatrous or angry or. Or just blatantly, I uh, just don't care. Just unenergized towards towards him. Uh, sometimes it's more than a day. Like sometimes we really do have an Israel, uh, uh, Israel cycle in, in a year. We'll go through a year of unrepentance, a year of of unenergized discipleship, a year of of, of faking it, a year of the motions, what have you. Um, and yet, I've noticed in my life that that cycle is always broken by the grace of God. He revitalizes my spiritual walk. He revitalizes my life. Um, the Bible says your body's a temple because that's where the Holy Ghost live. Well, a lot of times our temples look like these churches that were built in the 1950s that have the old pulpit and the old baptistry and the old carpet because we haven't kept up our spiritual life. And yet Jesus renews us and he mounts us up on wings as eagles and he draws us in over and over again, like in Hosea with the cords of his grace. And so just don't think that you're above church revitalization. You've been a church. You are the church, and Jesus has revitalized you on a daily, weekly, yearly basis since you got saved. And so, you doing that for others is only natural, and it's not glamorous. But it wasn't glamorous when Jesus did it for you. And we're going to an eternal life of glamour. We're going to an eternal life of flash. We're going to be eternally entertained. We're going to be eternally welcomed, eternally celebrated. People are gonna. We're going to be eternally. Filled with affirmation, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna give it, we're gonna be given an eternal thumbs up, so we can take time during this vapor to do something a little less than flashy because we got plenty of that coming. Uh, and so that would be my final pitch: go revitalize the church, change the world, because that's what that's what will change it.
0: Well, to that I just say I have to say amen, uh, Mitch. Thanks for coming on. This I think was a very uh, beneficial. Uh, episode, and I think it was very uh, helpful, and it was very um, encouraging and educational for me, and so uh, once again, thank you, thanks for your time, you're welcome. Thanks again to Pastor Mitch for being today's guest, Uh, make sure you read all of the blog notes for this show, and check out all the really great resources that are listed there. Uh, But that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, if you like what you just heard, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at underscore ministry minded. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Google Play. And if you're really feeling generous, leave me a short review on iTunes. Uh, Those likes and reviews go a long way in making shows like this uh, be sustained. Uh, Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show, and thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.